coming up to the last four chapters of the book in Hebrews chapter 10. And in this chapter, we happen to come across one of the five warning sections later on. God has put it specifically in certain places for a reason. The other warnings were found beginning in chapter 2. And then chapters 3 to 4. The third warning was from 5 to 6. Now we come into the fourth warning in chapter 10, verses 26 to 31. And then we'll see another warning, not the next chapter, but the one after that in chapter 12. These are meant to keep us safe. Always remember, when you hear about warning, especially from God, it's because He loves us and He wants to keep us safe. So warnings are good. Promises and warnings. And some have said the warnings themselves are promises, except in a negative sense. That if we end up doing things God says not to do, we will suffer the consequences, and that's a guarantee. So we want to do things differently, and even in the terms of in terms of ministry, as Stanley prayed, hearing the word last night in the evening meeting. Then we want to be like Mary, know precisely what God's will is. Just do that, not what we think as well as, because it's ministry after all. Some years back, I used to think a person who pursues vain pleasures in this world, what a horror at the end to know that it comes to nothing. It was a total waste of time and life, and now they have to pay an eternity for it. And the second thing is that a person is a believer who does ministry and different things, but did not do God's will. Two aspects to that. One is a person who does ministry, who is born again, but they have sin in their lives. They haven't crucified vengeful behavior, bitterness, immorality, mischief-making, and arrogance, they haven't crucified those things, so they'll lose everything in the end. Not just the ministry, they lose their souls. The second aspect of one who does ministry and is not doing God's will is one who may be moral, one who may be actively doing things to spread the gospel, but their motive and their mode may be wrong. In other words, the place where God wants them to minister and the actual ministry itself. If it's not God's will, excuse me, if it's not God's will, how tragic that is in the end to bring the works of the ministry and say, Lord, I did this and that, but to find out God didn't call us to do that. It's a very sobering thing. God has a precise, definite will for everyone. There are masses who go to church, evangelical churches, who may be saved or not saved. But they go to be spectators and receivers of blessings. 
but they don't know how to roll up the sleeves and work for God's kingdom. And that's exactly why God saves us, to become a child of God, a soldier, and a worker. He put Adam in the garden to work, to have the satisfaction that he's performing the function for which he was created. So all of us should seek God's will very diligently. Lord, what is your will for my life? Not in terms of where I should live and what job and my retirement plan and what school my kids should go to. and Not merely that. But things that concern eternity in a more direct way. Lord, you saved me to work. What work do you want me to do? Lord, where do you want me to serve How do you want me to serve? Very, very probing, most important questions we need to ask ourselves. And we need to go through training in order to be fit to do the work God's way. Hebrews chapter 10, let's read from verse 1. Whoever is ready to read, please don't wait for anyone else. From now on, even if you regularly read, the blessing will be yours. Just go ahead and read. Please read slowly, clearly, and loudly. And anyone who would like to pray, please do not hesitate in the future. Even if you pray every time, we did much to give opportunity to people to be sober and get ready to pray. But it's up to everyone. It's between you and God. The shepherds can just urge people and enumerate the benefits over and over again but it's up to the person and we understand also sometimes people aren't ready to pray for various reasons but whoever would like to pray one thing Pascal mentioned I've mentioned also we don't want to waste time so whoever is ready to read please read Hebrews 10 verses 1 to 4 please Hebrews 10 verses 1 through 4 NIV version the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Praise God. Praise God. Someone else, please read the next set of verses from 5 to 10. Verses 5 to 10, NKJV version, chapter 10, Hebrews. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, To do your will, O God. 
previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. God the Father, praise God, God the Father is waiting for the Son to come. Even though he prescribed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, all those things, he was looking forward to his son coming and being the perfect sacrifice. And a perfect sacrifice who can make the people who offer them, or I should say benefit from his sacrifice, perfect. The worshippers can be made perfect through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Very clearly we see over and over again in Hebrews. And in this chapter that all those laws and sacrifices were for a season to temporarily cover sins, but not to purge them. They could not. Because it was not holy blood, even though it was set apart as holy for that purpose to worship God and honor Him. The blood itself was not holy. Only Jesus' blood is holy to make us perfect. Notice verse 2. It says, For the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. The people who worshipped all the centuries with the sacrifices. Once they were sprinkled with the blood of the animals and the blood was shed to make an atonement temporarily to appease God's wrath against sin. God is against sin with a great abhorrence. And it's through the blood of the Son that that wrath has been appeased. It's been satisfied because He took the punishment can you imagine a, a parent seeing the child suffer for the sins of other people? An innocent child. This too is the Son of God. It's very difficult to comprehend fully that God will love us so much that He would watch His Son get mistreated insulted, spat upon, beaten, pierced with thorns, slapped, punched. Crucified. Humiliated. Tremendous blood loss. With every portion of the blood loss, God only knows what kind of headache the Lord would have gotten. Tremendous pain and throbbing all over the body. With that, there's no complaint. He's bearing it, bearing it, bearing it because of 
my sins, my rebellion, your rebellion. He is the perfect Lamb of God and one who loves us and I would challenge everyone as I have to myself. Every time we hear the gospel, talk about the Bible, Christianity, being born again, the Holy Spirit, all the benefits, the suffering of Jesus. Sometimes the prayer becomes mechanical because it's really me-centered. I love you, God. I thank you, God, for what you did. And it could very well lose its effectiveness even in our own hearts because it's being rushed. Anyone who has gone to a hospital or been under the care of some medical staff, we know the difference, especially if somebody's in the medical field and they happen to become a patient. Often that's when they begin to appreciate the care and the sensitivity that's required in order to help someone to give that relief mentally, emotionally, as well as physically. To have a sense that this person cares about me can make all the difference many times. We all know the difference between the people who come and do things routinely just to get the job done. They may even smile and say nice words, but we can just sense they really don't mean it. Sometimes our judgment could be off, but a lot of times we can sense because we ourselves know ourselves when we rush things and when we do things just to do the job without really caring. But when we think about the Lord Jesus and what he did on the cross and all that he suffered, we ought to take time to meditate on that. Many of us, I mention this often when we have the roses as beautiful as they are and we try to trim them or do something, almost unavoidable, get pricked with one of those thorns. The pain is annoyingly painful, for lack of a better word. Even a small thorn just pierces right through and causes some damage. Imagine if somebody came along when you're in pain and there's blood coming out. Oh, sorry, you got hurt. Anyway, it'll go away and uh, let's go do the next thing. Well, sometimes if a child or an adult happens to be one who complains a lot, we cannot cater to that, but it may do them more harm to dwell on that instead of thinking positive that it will get healed, but a lot of times, that sensitivity is not there. The care is not there because the person is not going through it. But when somebody really stops and thinks and tries to empathize as if they're going through it because they want to love and show the love and give the care that's needed, we all know the difference. How about us? thinking about God that way, Jesus Christ. He wasn't pierced with one thorn, at least several, that too on the head. 
we can just go and read Hebrews and Leviticus and Exodus, sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice and bloodshed and yeah, the Son of God died and I love him, I know it was a great sacrifice. But the challenge is for us to stop because this stopped everything in the universe. Heaven wept like never before. Never will. God the Son was crucified. That nail that would have went through one wrist or the palm it's not something that's there that you can pull out and have it medically surgically removed and then apply healing bomb it was stuck there it was stuck there he couldn't get out because he could have but he didn't he committed himself to suffer the wounds and the feet in the hands, entire body, going into shock, God only knows. With quivering lips perhaps, and just barely able to breathe, to say, Father, forgive them. We need to meditate and say, Lord, I love you for every thorn you bore for me. For every nail that appears to you, Lord, I love you for that. And really stop ourselves. Let the other people go fast. Let them kind of think of it as a cliche. But let us not do that. He came with the body that was prepared. It says in the volume of the book was written of me. The prophecies. And here I am do your will, O oh God. To love God. To remember, to slow down and meditate. Anytime it talks about Jesus' suffering, we need to really slow down and become conditioned to doing that because to gloss over it would be a total loss for us. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire but a body you have prepared for me. This blood is the one that can make us perfect. They can take the consciousness of sins away. Their people go to the grave haunted with tremendous regret. It just affects their whole life and they go and die like that into eternity. With a great loss, a great... the great grief in being able to not being able to push it away it haunts them they may switch jobs relocate find a new boyfriend or girlfriend the conscience still screams they may try to suppress that but it keeps screaming and at the end it will scream the loudest. That of the French philosopher Voltaire who, from what I understand, spent a good portion of his life 
trying to tear the Bible apart. To say the whole thing is for weak-minded people. This Christianity, it's fake, it's false. Somebody made it up, and it's for weak people. Look at me, I don't need that. I'm successful. I'm influential. Voltaire on his deathbed has said that the nurse who was taking care of him as he died, she said, I've seen a lot of people die. Been by that side. I've never heard anyone scream like this. Such fear. The devil had the last laugh. Devil drugged him up during his lifetime to make him have a false high, think that everything's okay. Like a person who's drunk has written the book of Proverbs. Climb up to the top of some mast or some pole. Say, look at me. Look, ma, no hands. Don't get... When beaten, say, I don't, I got beaten. Look at me, ha ha, I don't feel anything. Meanwhile, they're bleeding and they're getting crushed. That's exactly what the devil does to people when they think they're independent. I can jump in my car, I can do this, I can do that. I can abuse my body, I can give my body to other people. I'll do whatever I feel like. I'll put whatever I want to inside, nobody can stop me. It keeps them on that false high. You know why? Because they have a measure of health to do the things they would like to do but there's a price tag attached to it and the end becomes the worst nightmare but the person who fears the Lord understands somebody paid for my sins so I can live a real life and not be deceived that's the good news that the consciousness that haunting that screaming at the end of people who don't know the Lord and some people may not manifest it outwardly maybe they don't have the energy on their deathbed Maybe the horror has petrified them. They become like a stone, but you know what? The horror is there. There's not one person who can ever slip into eternity without Christ, without a horrible fear that will never go away. But we need to walk with them if we're going to make it. And that's why the fourth warning is here in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, which we'll get to. It's good for us. I'd rather be told all the pitfalls no matter how scary maybe to hear I don't fall into it and for somebody to say I don't want to ruin your day your appetite let me tell you sweet nothings and good things in your ear and empower you so when somebody falls into the ditch say oh the reason I didn't tell you is because I don't want to mess up your day but now your life is messed up you can lose your life that's why a good parent, it said, will instruct the child and chasten the child when necessary. When we become good children of God, we can become good parents to our own children. When we become good students to our teacher, then we can become good teachers to other students. When we become good disciples and learn how to follow, then we can disciple others and teach them how to follow Christ as we lead them. He said, A body you prepared for me. I come to do your will, O God. So the great consciousness of sins is taken away because the conscience is purged by the blood. Verse 10, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering 
of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He didn't go up somewhere like you go to a coat check-in at some event and turn in some property. Here, uh, God gave me a body, and where's the altar? Where's the cross? Okay, here, here's my body, and as some of the false religions and other demonic theories that he just fainted, you know, and another theory says that he, it wasn't him, it was somebody else, looked just like him. Some preposterous, foolish things that are nonsensical for any historian or investigator who has any bit of integrity at all. That's not what happened. He didn't say I have a body, but I don't feel anything, so I can offer the body. He went through every pain through his nerves, every nerve, every blood vessel, every calcium, potassium ion in the body. God only knows the entire body was devastated. He was butchered and murdered because of my sins and your sins. It was not just a shot somewhere. He went through the whole thing. It was a slow, painful death. The whole crucifixion scene and the beating before that. That's the body that was offered for me. That sanctifies me. So powerful of an atonement of a death for my life in his blood. That's why verse 10 will have tremendous meaning for us if we understand this background and meditate on it. Instead of rushing through the Bible, people won't do that when they buy a house usually. When they buy a car or something is coming to them, they'll look at the details. They know this is important. When it comes to the Bible, it becomes like a companion that when I can pick and choose whether I'm going to call and spend some time and as if the Bible should be happy that we're even giving some time to it. God should be happy I gave him five minutes or even one hour, two hours, but I was daydreaming most of the time. God expects us to use every bit of mental energy, concentration, entire heart, bow before this book, which is the Word of God, that is humble ourselves to read every single word because our life depends upon it. It is life. Verse 10, by that will we have been sanctified. God's will. To do God's will. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Someone please read the next section, 11 to 18. In Ivy Go ahead. Okay. Um, New King motion. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, since forever sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the 
Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Can Amen. I continue? Amen. That, that's fine, Thaya. Thank you. So this, this section reminds us of what the Lord said before. He quoted from the writer quotes from Jeremiah 31. And we saw this in Hebrews chapter 8. When God repeats something, now, Jeremiah said it. The Spirit of God recorded it again in Hebrews chapter 8. That he will, law, he will write the law in the very hearts of the people. Not just to read and to try to obey. It will be written inside by the Holy Spirit. That second in Hebrews 8 after Jeremiah 31. Now for the third time. We see in Hebrews chapter 10. When God says something once. It's extremely important. If he says it twice. It's even more urgent that we take heed. If he says it three times the same thing, that much more urgent that we fully understand what he's saying and make sure we respond appropriately to it. Anytime you see something repeated in Scripture, I see something repeated in Scripture, I'm supposed to stop and say, this must be very, very important. I've got to understand why God said it the first time. Why is the Lord repeating it again in what context here? If he says it three times, I have to be extremely careful that I don't miss it. Especially when he says it three times. Verse 16, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. Quoting Jeremiah here, I will put my laws into their hearts. And in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. There's no more generous God person than the living God. No one who loves us so much. He's seen all the ugliness. He's seen all the trash that we hoarded over the years. All the wickedness that we spewed from our mouths and minds, vain imagination evil, mischief, cheating people in various ways. Somebody said, I never stole from anybody. You can steal credit from them when credit is due. You can dishonor them. You can say, well, this person should deserve honor, but I'm going to hold it back. That's thievery right there. Arrogance and pride. Have you ever known in your heart that it's good for me to respect somebody in this way? That even in my conscience I know it's not right, but I go ahead and do it anyway. We have so much guilt standing before the cross and shame 
The Lord said, I took your shame upon me. I took every evil deed that you did and thought with your mind, your imagination. Billions and billions and trillions of evil thoughts coming maybe faster than the speed of light. In those days, the Lord said, man's imagination is evil from his youth continually. Man, woman, child, host of evil imaginations. God said, I've seen all that ugliness. It's not the right way. But I've taken all of those sins upon my body. And I won't remember it anymore. Oh God, can you imagine going to a judge who knows the entire rap sheet? A person who's been a carjacker and a murderer and a thief and a rapist, I mean, you name it. Everybody, even the worst hardened criminals and the pacifist people who fight for human rights against capital punishment, everybody says this person has got to go and in the worst way, evil, wicked person who's murdered so many people. That person goes to the judge and the judge says, I, I'm not going to remember what he did. What a shock to everybody. Screaming out, where's the justice? What do you mean? That judge is not fit to be there. But if the judge is the creator and he says, I will appease my own wrath against this and I'm the most just person ever and I'm taking that punishment upon myself, who can argue? Because the punishment has been taken upon the judge. But here's the second very, very important factor and that is, so what? Even if the punishment, what this man should have suffered, that judge took it all. He's still wicked. He'll go out and do it again. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. He purges to the conscience level where the person is no longer bound to do those evil things and can now live free. The very imagination is cleansed because the Holy Spirit has written the Word of God on the hearts and minds of God's people. Now we begin to understand more of why God hates hypocrites and why judgment must begin at the house of God. Knowing how much God loved me, every hideous deed, wicked thing I did, He loved me so much, He went through pain and torture. Always remember, crucifixion means pain and torture and death. It's not a light thing at all. That too, he bore the weight and the guilt and the shame of the entire human race. Can't even begin to comprehend that. How carefully I ought to walk and forever hate being casual toward God and the things he says in the book of God. Whenever I hear the word of God, no matter who's preaching, if I detect sincerity, to stop and listen I've been on the subway many times and I've heard many preachers of all sizes and shapes and colors 
whether from high school or to my job as an adult. And of course, my heart instantly, uh, usually thankful that somebody's preaching over here, but often I wouldn't want to identify myself with that person because of fear. This is a long time ago. The fear wasn't something that was dominating my life, but just at the moment. And then I thought, that's my brother. I don't know who he is, but I know he's my brother. African-American, West Indian, French, Caucasian, all kinds of people. Immediately, I think that's my that's my people. That's my family. Honestly. God taught me. You're supposed to love and be connected immediately because you are connected by the blood. So I began to publicly, when everybody's looking at the person acting like he's weird and he's preaching the truth, they look annoyed, they're avoiding eye contact and then they're looking at the neighbors, seeing what they think, and I'm sitting there also. When I get up or they leave, I talk to them, and I say, God bless you. And I say, praise God, and they have a big smile. They get encouraged. But I'm identifying, but for what? Nobody's stoning me. Nobody's telling me I'm going to lose my job. There's in many places death threats. How bold we can be what a low price we have to pay because somebody else may think I'm weird like the other person who's that somebody who's thinking that as Pastor Gruber says don't care about anything don't care about anyone's opinion it means nothing God's truth is what matters and you belong to the truth stand up for the truth and be rejoicing that you know the truth and be ready to speak the truth and identify with those who speak the truth Otherwise, we're cowards. The Lord was crucified as a criminal. This sacrifice, that's what it is. In Hebrews, the sacrifice was the Lord of glory, sinless, spotless Lamb of God was crucified publicly as a criminal outside of the gates. He was not fit, they said, to live. Put him on the roadside. Let people see. Humiliated. That was my Lord and your Lord. We should be bold and tell people, tell your neighbors, tell your family, no matter who stands up against you and tries to ridicule you, you open your mouth and tell them, I'm going to tell you something that can save your life forever. Oh really? Smirk, laughter, chuckle. This one's gone cuckoo, making signs. No, that's the devil who has these people in in his trap. And what you say may well save their souls. Cain said, I'm not my brother's keeper, am I, Lord? You don't expect me to know where my brother is. He should keep himself. That's why the Lord told the Good Samaritan story. We're supposed to be helping people. Though we can give them money and bread and all these things, which is important. The greatest thing we can do is give them the bread from heaven, the living bread. When they eat of that bread, they live forever like the tree of life, when they drink of that blood, blood of the new covenant, as Jesus said in John chapter 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. You can't have life. 
the entire crowd went. Turned to the twelve disciples, are you going to go too? And Peter said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. What you just said, Lord, is true. I'm 100% in it. Are you 100% in the sacrifice? Do we understand what it costs the Lord? And how we are not our own. We don't do what we feel like. We have to do God's will. God help me. God help you. To say I'm renewing my commitment to serve the one who gave it all for me. I got stuck with some needles in the hospital. And they made a mess of my hand. My arm. It was painful. But what is that? And as I look at the bruise. Anytime I have a bruise. I think about the Lord. He was bruised for my iniquities. The bruises did not go away. There was no nurse there to say, let me help him. There was no one to reassure, no doctor, no parent, no cousin. To say it's going to last for a few weeks and you'll be okay. Oh my God, every wound stayed. And he died like that. And in eternity we'll see the marks of what my Lord suffered. We need to understand what he did. Let this rule our day. Every day. My Lord was crucified. He was in pain. Tortured. Died for my sins. That's why God is so angry. And he burns with his full fury. Against his own people. Who despised what his son did. He gave it all. And to go back to the world is to spit on the cross. What will God do with such a person? He will burn them up. doesn't matter how long they went saved. That's what the Bible says. Because they have said, All that you did for me, God, I thank you for it. But now, allow me to serve the devil for one day, Lord. You don't mind, do you? I want to serve your arch enemy who hates you. And who's killing your people. I want to go do what he says to do because I want some cheap thrills. Let's continue to read from verse 11. Someone please read 11. Actually, let's go from 19, 19 to 25. Somebody please read that. Verse 19, New King's Inversion. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without revering, for he who promised his faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, 
as you see the day approaching. Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. What a powerful section right here. I was going through the verses that I personally highlighted in the book of Hebrews. Maybe a benefit to other people. And we stopped at a certain chapter. But as we're in chapter 10, I have 21 and 22 highlighted. In having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I talked about the haunting thoughts that we can have of our own regret and our guilt. Some people say if you can read the next person's mind and you can actually know what they've done, how they actually treated their families, how they treated other people. If you can really know the whole story, there are people who say, you know what? That person is so evil. They don't deserve to live. They deserve to die in the worst way. Now, what about ourselves? There are people who think about themselves and think, I don't deserve anything at all except punishment. I've been so evil. For a believer to carry an evil conscience is a contradiction of the highest or the worst degree, worst sort. It defeats the purpose of Jesus ever dying on the cross. There are two reasons for a believer to carry an evil conscience. Notice, a believer. One is, they can't get themselves to deal with the extremity of what they've done and to receive God's forgiveness for certain things. As the Spirit of God brings it up. They've come to the cross and said, Lord, forgive me. And they've had a genuine experience with God. But the more they think about or God's Spirit brings it up or the enemy may bring it up, they're not able to come back to the cross and say, Lord, but you died for this too. Yes, this evil thing that I did. And so they continue with the evil conscience. And it's a deadly thing because it will permeate everything. And if we die with an evil conscience, we won't make it to heaven. So we've got to believe and trust. God said he forgave me. That's it. He forgave me. This is amazing grace. Hallelujah. If he remembers my sins no more, who am I to dig it up and try to remember it? I'm fighting against God there, against his grace. When I confess all my sins to God, I say, I want no part of it, Lord. I'm so sorry, Lord. I want no part of it, Lord. And I'm going to take measures, every measure I need to take to make sure I don't do it again. God says, it's gone. It's gone. I don't remember it anymore. Oh, wow. God is so amazing. He's so awesome. He's so condescending. He comes down to forgive me. Yes, little old me. Evil me. He made me pure. 
second reason a believer will still have a consciousness of sins with an evil conscience is if they're actively partaking of sin. That's not difficult to understand. If I'm doing something evil, I'm walking the flesh, how can I expect to have a pure conscience? There's a great danger, as we're going to read in Hebrews here, that I'm crucifying the Lord all over again. There'll be no more sacrifice for my sins. But our hope and the good news right here, in the midst of five great warnings in the book of Hebrews, all 13 chapters, we read through them, we find in several chapters five major warnings. In the midst of that, we have this beautiful verse. Let us draw near with a true heart. Be real with God. Say, I don't want to do evil things anymore. And Lord, I don't want to qualify what is evil with my own eyes. Who am I? I'm no judge. There are believers, many believers we have seen. Like in the book of Judges, I don't do that, or I do this. Why? Because I think it's right. Who told you you're right? Did you consult with God? Or with yourself and other people like you? Yes, even in the churches, even other pastors and so-called leaders blindly going to the ditch and taking people with them into the ditch because they pervert the truth. No fear of God. Talk about grace, grace, grace. God loves you. We love you. Isn't it a wonderful day? So nice to see you. What they call saccharine sentimentality. Sweet and poison. God hates that fakery. But when somebody says it sincerely, it's so nice to see you. And they're living right. It means something to heaven. It'll be a blessing for the other person to hear that. When I'm walking with God. The standard is God's word. I can't say, well, I don't believe it's strong to have a boyfriend or girlfriend as long as we don't fornicate, right? I remember a janitor in the health club that I was working in as a teenager. He was a Christian and he was raising his boys in the right way. And uh, something came up in the conversation as I was evangelizing different people and he said, somebody told you that they're with a boyfriend or girlfriend and uh, they don't sin, they don't touch each other? He was laughing. He said, that's so naive <laughs> for anyone to believe that. In our day and culture especially. The things that are reserved for marriage, who gives people the right to do that? The devil? And lead to all kinds of ties physically, emotionally, get defiled and broken after that and build up a defense mechanism so when the real thing comes, can't even love freely because there's so much fragmentation and damage that's done psychologically, spiritually, physically. But you know what? Even a person broken by their own sins and unwise choices can come to the cross and God can do a miracle. Oh, yes. He's a God who redeems the past. But don't go back to it because then you'll have an evil conscience all over again. And 
according to the word of God, we can get to a point of no return. It's very dangerous to gamble with our souls. But wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Again, I say wait on the Lord. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He can clean everything up, give real love, and even heal the heart of so much tragedy. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with what? The blood of Jesus. Sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The ceremonial rituals in the Old Covenant required washings for the priests. They had to wash their bodies with water. They had to make sure they didn't sweat up the linen and uh, they had to have change of garments. It was a holy holy priesthood and the holy service God was showing by the physical example and the figure something spiritual we need to be clean inside we need to be morally uncorrupt not corrupt for God hath not called us unto uncleanness says in Thessalonians but unto holiness so I need to know what is unclean and that's why God has shepherds. In the Old Testament, he had priests and the prophets to teach distinctly exactly what God said in his word, his law. So people can know these standards, not have their own little standards. Go to church and have some generic message or some meeting and help each other and Jesus died for me and sing some songs and have a good time and great fellowship and awesome music. Carry around, carry around the evil conscience because still sinning against God. Rather than here, this is God's word. This is his standard. And this is his Holy Spirit who will help us to keep the word. He's the blood that has cleansed us. The one who is in pain, tortured, and crucified. Killed for my sins. It cost him that. It wasn't a bloodletting have a tourniquet applied and then say squeeze your hand, make a fist, open it, squeeze it. Let's see if that blood will flow and here's a little pinch you're going to feel and there we go. Now I can connect the rest of the vials to this. And I can let out a whole bunch of blood. That's not the way the Lord let out his blood. He was butchered. Horrible pain. Precious blood came it flowed. You know what? It flowed upon you, it flowed upon me. To sanctify me, spirit, soul, and body. So that a person with an evil conscience, many regrets. When we come really close to God, we come to the cross, we see, I am so disgusting. I don't deserve to live. I don't deserve to come near God. And yet he says, I will wash you from your pollution as he described so graphically so endearingly in Ezekiel he said I saw you polluted with your own blood you are nobody you are cast away nobody wanted you God said I came and picked you up I washed you I put sweet incense on you perfumed you I gave you the best clothing I decked you with ornaments and you became mine hallelujah that's what God says about all of us. 
Imagine what a difference it would make if we knew the scriptures better. If we knew these things, how they would be continually fighting against any evil thought, any evil persuasion to be a little more independent, do my own thing. Oh, the fear of God will be upon me when I meditate upon what the Lord did on the cross in His whole word, Genesis to Revelation. It is life. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. There's a meaning with the word hope. There's a connection. It's not just like people say generically in the world, so what? You're a Christian, you have hope? I'm not a Christian, I have hope too. And I try to tell them, well, my hope is the resurrection. Well, what difference has it made in your life? Is that kind of hope a pure hope that I haven't seen before? Where your life is pure? Maybe that's something I need to look at because it's different from my hope. A hope that makes me not waver. To be loyal to the one who promised me because he's faithful. And notice the further exhortation, verses 24 and 25. We ought to highlight this also or underline it. As we say in the scriptures, in these epistles, there's a revelation of God's provision, His purpose. And then the epistle unfolds usually to a revelation of my position in Christ through His blood sacrifice of his life and then it calls for a practical living out of that new life by doing certain things and stop doing or not doing certain things that's the logical flow usually of the epistles first revelation of who God is how great he is his eternal purpose and his provision for me the transformation that causes me to know my position now in Christ and then my practical day-to-day obedience to Him in doing certain things and not doing other things. Otherwise, it's meaningless. It's a fairy tale. No different in effect than a fairy tale. Or some moral story that I can pick and choose and do to a degree that I feel and everybody who has uh, Aesop's fables or whatever Moral story in a world of literature, books upon books, production of books, all of them trash. If the authors and the readers don't know, God's word comes first and above everything else. Everything must be filtered through the book of books, the Holy Bible, the word of God. The Spirit of God will show me what is unclean and profane what is holy before God and clean. So the practical outworking is to be loyal to God, yes, to be careful to obey Him, take heed, but someone please read again verses 24 and 25. NLT version, verses 24-25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now 
that the day of his return is drawing near amen hallelujah have you ever thought how can i motivate my brother my sister to love god more to love each other more and to serve god more to do things that would shine the light that people may see the good works i do glorify my father which is in heaven have you ever thought how can i motivate my brother and sister to a purer life how can i by my conversation my tone of voice my gestures really show love that is out of this world patience consideration forbearance ready to forgive not be moody and hold things against someone and get angry that's my brother we have the same blood jesus christ who taught us to love as my sister how can i provoke them to good works as another scripture says i'll tell you how when i'm pursuing a pure life and doing good works myself the example is the biggest influence and then the teaching or the words so when they see you know what this sister is driving so long to pick me up so i can go to church that brother is driving around and picking up this one dropping off that one i don't see them complain in fact they seem to enjoy it i wonder if they like driving it may be but when somebody sacrifices their time their money and you can see they love god it's because of god's love they're doing it they may like driving but nobody likes to be on the road continually expending their gas and using their resources and why they could be sitting at home reading a good book or there are things that are sacrificed so that others can live and others can become blessed be blessed have you ever thought about that the way to motivate my brother my sister to be more like jesus is to be the example myself in helping others that they observe and also showing god's love in my conversations my interactions and be prayerful pray much we have a responsibility as our brother's keeper to not only care about ourselves making it which is first because we're responsible for our souls before god to give an account of what he's given us but also to make sure my brother and sister are helped if the order is reversed it's a disaster it's hypocrisy whatever good may have come through it even by someone preaching and telling another brother sister you know this is what i did and this is what we should do god said this in the word look right here i can quote it but it's really not happening in the person's life who's preaching and it'll backfire but let me follow the lord faithfully love him with everything i've got and pray so lord help me to be a 
good example to my brother and my sister in the church. Let them see my good works. Not to show off. I want them also to be blessed, Lord, by doing the same thing in your name. Have you thought about that? That's what it says in the scriptures. Secondly, it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. That means, in the first century, in the New Testament church, filled with supernatural activity, there were some people who said, I'll go to park on Sunday. I'll go to the park. I can go next week and be with the brothers and sisters. It's family day Sunday. And we're going to have ice cream and the carnival's in town. And the pastor's such a nice guy. He understands he's down to earth. And he may even cut the service short to be there with his shorts and his candy, whatever, cotton candy and all these people around him. Worldly, lukewarm church, carnal people, despising God, trying to adjust God and His holiness and His word, love for Him, what's due to Him, the good of the whole people, edification. Everything takes a back seat. For what? Catered to. Itching ears. Feet that can't stay still. Need amusement. Feed me, please. That's the church I love. The church that gives me cotton candy all day long. Very liberal in a bad way. They can choose. People sitting in the church with multiple partners. It's okay. God loves everybody. We ought to open the door to everyone. That is God's heart. Whether someone is a heterosexual, homosexual, immoral, drunkard, drug abuser, pedophile, God have mercy. Yet, there must be a transformation. Otherwise, it becomes hell playing church. Somebody says, some things are too extreme, Pastor. The Holy Spirit recorded in the book of Corinthians, some of you were homosexual offenders male prostitutes, all kinds of things, extortioners, liars, drunkards, murderers. What kind of crew is this? It's a microcosm and representation of the world from which all of us came from. We may have not have done those things, but we have the same bad blood full of sin. And it takes the same holy blood to cleanse everybody of everything. That's how potent God's blood is. But if a church is continuing in the name of grace and love, tolerating sin, they become a Jezebel. As the Lord warned the church of Thyatira in Revelation. You're tolerating this? You're doing this? He said, I'll kill you and your children on the sickbed. That's what God said. This was Jesus. We need to know the love of God, and exactly how God handles things. He's perfect. He's the most loving person and the most holy person. He knows how to remedy everything, provided we cooperate with Him. And when we walk with Him, we understand the Scriptures, we'll be able to tell people, God does love you. doesn't matter what you've done. It's true. In the sense that it's not going to stop God from being able to save you, unless 
You expect to come and get benefits of salvation and continue in that Satan-serving lifestyle, corrupting people and yourself. Oh no, God won't tolerate that. You come and taste it of God's grace. Hebrews chapter 10 says these things. I'm going to move quickly now. But verse 25, it says, make sure you do not stop meeting with people who fear God and love God. They're after God. They're not just doing things for ministry and self-amusement and enrichment, self-empowerment. But these are people who you put them somewhere where it's hostile, a country, their military, communities, they're all against Christ. You take some of these people that are meeting here in the land of freedom, they're not going to turn on God. They're going to say, you can kill me. I'm not turning on Jesus. You can take everything. Those people we want to hang with, in a good sense, I don't like to use the word hang, but uh, you want to fellowship with. You want to be with. You want to soar with. Maybe you have to change your vocabulary. Say, who are you going to soar with today? Who are you going to be edified together today? Growing in God's love. Glowing coals coming together. Embers. Flame fanned and big bonfire. Holiness unto the Lord. Getting stronger. Addiction being broken. Hallelujah. Left and right. Chains falling. Living a good life. Good works. Caring about other people more than I care about myself. God's glory above all else. Encouraging one another. Make sure you meet continually with each other. Don't be like the people who stop. Now, there are lodges that meet, fraternities, clubs, and all kinds. You have gun clubs, you have sports clubs, you have swim clubs, all kinds of clubs, and all kinds of churches too. It'll come to nothing in the end, no matter what it is. How much resources? 500,000 people can be in that club, some social group. The numbers are strong. We're strong. To God, it's a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Waste utterly without Jesus in the center. But you know what? When two or three genuine believers, that is, gathered together in my name, the Lord says, I'm there. Which other VIP, guest of honor, can ever equal the almighty God to come and be with us. Imagine having someone invited to your uh, birthday party, to your anniversary celebration, someone invited to your inauguration of some school you're opening or some business. You find out the vice president said he's coming. Vice President of what? Of the United States of America. Whether we agree with the Vice President now or not, talking about the position, and instantly what do people think? The exposure I can get, the association with this individual 
the honor because of the status. Maybe if they say, I'm so sorry, the Vice President of the United States was supposed to come to your birthday party. How many people get to have that? You got all the cameras ready and you have a lot of people recording with all kinds of gear. And she, she can't make it. A big letdown and the president says the president's going to make it. The God of the universe says, I'm going to make it. I'm going to be with you. I'm literally going to come down and be in the midst just like now the Lord is right here. Can we afford to forsake the assembling of ourselves? God's presence, you see, that's why we mention biblically that when somebody does not want to meet with other believers, does not come to meetings that God has ordained, they're actually saying no to God's presence. That's how serious it is. That's why they are enticed by the devil to other activities and other things and they get shot down by the devil. Like what we see in the nature programs, National Geographic or whatever. Heard of buffaloes, heard of zebras, deer, whatever. And who's there waiting in the shadows lurking? Very patient. Not a move, just some eyeballs moving. Mr. Lion's right there. He's carefully tracking every single zebra, antelope, buffalo, sheep. He's studying each one, seeing who looks like they're a little aloof, a little weak, weaker than the rest, aloof, and uh, foolish enough to separate from that pack, even for just a couple of minutes. Have you ever seen that? The moment this beast detects that animal is beginning to veer off a little bit, the muscles of this tremendous beast begin to activate and slowly he rises. And when he sees that that creature is staying put and not going back to the pack, he begins to prowl step by step, making sure he doesn't make any sound. And at the moment that he knows that he's got enough distance from the rest of the flock, they're not going to attack him. He begins a mad dash and almost always is successful. No wonder the devil's called a prowling lion, a roaring lion prowling about, seeking whom he may devour. Notice what it says about believers. The devil can devour believers. If they forsake the assembling of themselves together in the presence of God. Many clubs, many churches, many Christian organizations, God is not there. How do we know? Nobody's living holy. Everything's a joke. Maybe big, a lot of money, a lot of things, programs, but rank immorality, deception, maliciousness. Love of money, everything. Oh, but they're successful. That was Babylon also, but in one hour it fell. We don't want any part of anything fake. We want to know that I'm making it to heaven and the highway is holiness. I've got to be in it. 
With those people, if I associate, I can encourage them and myself so much the more as I see the day approaching. Verse 26, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. It's not only the devil who's waiting to devour believers who go astray. The person who continues, God himself says, my holy fire will devour them. And this is in the New Testament. This is after Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he authorized this so that I can read it today as a believer in the 21st century and instead of being a fool be wise be full of love and say Lord I may have escaped many many things in the past by your sheer grace but I know grace can run out I'm not going to abuse that grace I'm not going to gamble with my soul next time we veer off wander off maybe the last time that's why the warning is so serious Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose? Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? A common thing. In other words, it's cheap. Can you treat the blood of Jesus Christ cheap and insult the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Look at the conclusion. It is a fearful thing to fall, it doesn't say Satan, into the hands of Satan, into the hands of the living God. Jesus said, don't fear them who can kill the body, rather fear him, who after he kills the body, can throw both body and soul into hell. That was Jesus in his earthly ministry. How come we don't hear these things? The devil has persuaded pastors, teachers, evangelists to carefully sidestep these things and just, you know, don't get into too much. You may lose the congregation. They may have a sick feeling in their stomach and feel afraid and not be able to function. Actually, the opposite is true. It'll sober somebody up if they hear the truth and nothing but the truth. Preached in love with prayer by the Holy Spirit, by example. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, enlightened, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Do you recall when you were born again? Did you face any heat? I faced some heat. And the more I read the word, the more I knew I'm on the right track. And I felt so wonderful pleasing God and defending the truth. Having the truth defend me. The Apostle says here, remember that day? Partly while you were made a spectacle by, both by reproaches and tribulations. The devil said, it's on now. You dare defy me and leave my kingdom? You're going to follow, you're going to become a holy roller? 
I'm going to roll you over with my steamroller. I'm going to make sure you regret leaving me. But the person knows Christ and who is walking in the fear of the living God and His love, delighting themselves in God's Word, cannot be destroyed by the devil. No matter how many things, tribulations comes to try to knock us down. Righteous man stands up again. Because the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is there. Hallelujah. Devil can make a laughing stock out of us. He can try. But God has the last laugh. And partly while you became companions of those who were so treated, you know, we we saw brothers and sisters who were being persecuted for the faith, ridiculed at school, maybe on the job, denied certain privileges. We said, that's my people. I'm going to stick with them. One member suffers in the body. The whole body suffers. But you know what? When the member is severed from the body, it doesn't feel anything that the body feels. We need to make sure we're in the vine, in the body, by following God's will, loving Him supremely, and being willing to suffer whatever we need to suffer so that we can be true to Him, glorify Him, follow in His footsteps. There are people who suffer a whole lot due to their own sins. What a waste. What a sad thing. But when one suffers for righteousness, God's glory comes down. It's a beautiful thing. And God will take away the pain one day. But during the suffering, God is working something far more glorious. Fruit will come out of it. Hallelujah. What a glorious life. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Guilt by association. Are you with that Christian who's talking against this injustice and he's in jail and the neighbors don't like him and you're siding with him? Well, guess what? You're going to get the same treatment. It's okay. I'm standing for the truth. I'm not going to defect from the truth. Knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, continue, don't stop, you will receive the promise. May and will. It's open to you. You're going to make it. You need endurance. You need to be with people who think just like God wants them to think, to encourage one another, fan the flame, keep encouraging one another, run the race, and finish it. You see children who associate with children who study well. Usually, those children are raised up in their standard. The bar is raised up. And they begin to study well too and get higher grades than they thought they could. But you take the same child 
and you put the child with company of children who are just rebellious and lazy and waste their time and resources doing things they shouldn't be doing. Chances are this child will begin to do the same thing. Similarly, in the spiritual realm, much more is at stake. We need to be careful the company we keep, even among Christians. Not to despise people, but to know that when I'm with this person or this group, I really don't have the fear of God growing in me, the love of God overflowing in me, seeking to help other people and edify them growing in me. It's more about me and cheap thrills and silly laughter and put on some so-called worship music and read some stuff that I like to read in the Bible, feel empowered, and there I go in my struggle and relapse and all these things that come back, get restored, fall, restored, fall. It's a vicious cycle of going nowhere fast. Yes, there are believers who are in such groups such associations, still stuck in their sins. Pray tell, for what reason did Christ ever come to them? For what reason did they ever come to the cross? If they're still in bondage to their sins. Something is wrong, not with God, but with them. And the company they keep. Company may not just be people, it may be magazines, media, even, I've come to know, in some in the church, I think a bunch of people, you know, if you hear certain sermons, the devil can touch you through the sermons. That's absolutely true. The Bible says, don't listen to false doctrine. But how will I ever know unless I know the true doctrine fully? What a blessing it is. God has called us to wisdom that is evidenced by great humility before him to open our ears and say, Lord, teach me. Change me, Lord. And I want people who I love to also be changed, to be just like you. I want all of us to go to heaven. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just, which means righteous, shall live by faith. Faith that obeys. But if anyone draws back, God says, my soul has no pleasure in him. Because God has invested everything in us. He expects us to stick with Him so we can be blessed. Praise God. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, hell, condemnation, destruction. But of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Hallelujah. Father in heaven, we thank you. You've called us to be of this latter group, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your precious love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Guide us, I pray, Lord, to grow more and more to be like you, just like our Father. You said it's enough for a student to be like his teacher, enough for a disciple to be like his master. We want to be just like you, Lord. Continue to work this word in me deeper and deeper and deeper, Lord God, and in every brother, every sister. Oh, that we may be fruitful, Lord, fruit-bearing branches to the delight of our Heavenly Father, who is the vine dresser, and to the Lord Jesus, who is the vine in whom we reside. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.